Uh, we start a new series today. Love me a Christmas series. This is my 18th one with you guys. Uh, and so this year we're going we're gonna to center around some of the more familiar songs of the season. Who loves the Christmas songs? Anybody love the Christmas carols? Thank you. That, I see that hand. Thank you. Yes. Uh, I love them too. And we only sing them for like a month every year this month, right? Uh, but they're, they're so packed with, with truth and uh, with inspirational messages, specifically surrounding the birth of Christ, but also surrounding the story of God and us as told throughout the scriptures. I'm going to touch on that today. But we're going to start this series. We're going to go through four different songs, just kind of examine their text and see where they're kind of linked to what the, the Bible has to say about the truths that these songs are proclaiming. Uh, we're going to start with Oh Holy Night. Anybody like that one? That is a club banger if there ever was one. Yeah, Oh Holy Night uh, was written in 1847 uh, by a Frenchman, a guy named uh, Placide Capot. Uh-huh. That's, yeah, that's French. Uh, uh, it was interesting, though, as I kind of did a deep dive on this, uh, this guy Placide was a, a, a wine uh, merchant in his town uh, and, and a poet. And so the Paris priest in his uh, town in France came to him and said, hey, would you write uh, a poem for us that could possibly become a song uh, for us to, you know, have as part of our Christmas Eve services this year. And you just got to center it around the story of Luke 2, which is the birth of Jesus Christ. And so Placide did that. Now, this is, this is kind of remarkable because Placide didn't go to this guy's, uh, this guy's church. This parish priest just knew of him from town. He wasn't even a Christian. In fact, he was kind of a hellraiser. But for whatever reason, Placide decided to, you know, write this poem, and Oh Holy Night is the result. Placide got together with a friend of his, uh, a guy named Adolf Charles Adams. Nice French name there. Anyway, uh, but uh, th this guy was, was a musician, and Placide wrote the text for O Holy Night, and he, he got with his friend Chuck, and he said, hey, Chuck, can you write some music to this? And uh, this is unique because Charles Adolph Adams wasn't a Christian either. He was Jewish. So one of the more famous Christmas carols was written by a non-believer and a Jewish man. Uh, uh, but wildly accepted in that town and in other uh, parts of France as it became more popular over the Christmases that followed until the French church, the Catholic church in France, found out that indeed a non-Christian and a Jewish man were responsible for this song, and so they banned it in all the churches. We Christians are great at banning things that glorify God sometimes. Have you ever noticed that? And listen, certainly we need to be careful and, and meticulous in, in what messages we allow and who we allow to be messengers in our lives. But can we all admit that God uses all kinds of people to glorify himself and to edify the body of Christ? And, and that we shouldn't be as, you know, as concerned as we sometimes are to be. I mean, we're, we're all fallen and broken, right? And, and so the fact that God, I just love that, that God would use a non-Christian and a Jewish guy to edify himself and to glorify himself in his church, uh, Love that part of the story. Everybody settle down when it comes to some of these things. Well, after a, a few years of it being banned, it, it was such a popular song at Christmas that the, the churches sang it anyway. And so finally the, the Catholic Church in France said, all right, fine. One, one more quick thing. There's all kinds of stuff surrounding this song, but I found this really interesting. In 1906, this guy Reginald Fessenden uh, was a professor at a, a university in Canada he was one of the early adopters of uh, radio technology. It was just kind of coming around. Marconi, was that the guy who created it? Anyway, but, but it hadn't really been mastered to where it could be available, you know, uh, you know, AM radio waves flying out into the 
to the ether and available to lots of different people. But he basically got a bunch of guys to join him in kind of a, a ham radio club kind of situation. And, and the first known uh, AM broadcast was by this guy Fessenden in Canada, uh, where he, on Christmas Eve, read the text from Luke chapter 2, and then picked up his violin, and the first song ever on radio was Oh Holy Night. Pretty cool. Here to sing this song in a way that only she can is our very talented Darnisha Taylor. Stars are bright 
Thank you, D, as I call her. Uh, we were going to have me sing it, but we thought she might do a little bit better. So, uh, we, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's entirely fitting, and we are tire, entirely blessed to have uh, so many talented people, and Dernish is certainly one of them. Uh, did everybody get the words? Did you know them as she was singing them? If you're like me, a lot of times you know like the first few words of a song or even a verse, but then you're like, eh, watermelon, 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 right? You just kind of hum along. Uh, with this song and the other three songs that we're going to study this week, or this month, I'm sorry, we're going to just kind of take these words. And we're not going to preach the song. It's not inspired, uh, uh, certainly in the way that Scripture is, but it's going to tie us to some of the truths that, uh, as we study in the book of Lamentations today that are going to remind us of the goodness of our God. It starts like this, O holy night. The stars are brightly shining, and then it kicks off with its main focus. It's the night of our dear Savior's birth. It's a holy night. Holy means uh, set apart, certainly pure and righteous and, and elevated, but, but set apart. It's a, it's a different kind of night. Uh, we have 365 nights a year, uh, 366 in a leap year. I think that's how it works, right? We have however many years that we live. You do the math. I'm not going to. Uh, certainly uh, most nights are kind of mundane, normal nights, but there's big ones, right? Uh, there's the uh, the nights of uh, our childhood where, um, well, may, may, maybe uh, we, we went to Disney World for the first time. That was a big night. Or, or, or maybe it was later in high school and we had our first date, first kiss. It was our graduations, high school and college. As you get older, uh, uh, the night before you get married, I was pretty sleepless that night, right? Big night. Uh, there's the, if you're a parent, the night's, that your children are born. All three of my kids came. They decided to, you know, keep us up. They came pretty late. And uh, in, in the darkness of those nights, I'll never forget the birth of my children. Uh, there's big nights, but I'd submit to you that in the history of our world, there's never been a bigger night than what we just sang about or what Darnisha just sang about. On this holy night, God, the Father, sends God the Son to live here on earth. And the story of our gospel has its beginning. Now, it's continuing. It began way back, uh, as Travis was telling us, when the first sins occurred. It's when the gospel story begins. But uh, its culmination certainly is tied to the birth of Jesus Christ, right? I, I, like I said, I think it's the biggest night the, the world has ever seen. Some might argue, no, 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 that, that night that preceded the morning of Christ's resurrection, that's bigger, Mark, but I would say to you, chicken and the egg, if Jesus isn't born, there's no resurrection. Are you with me? It's like 1A, 1B, both big. But this birth marks a change in everything. It also... Uh, coincides with the overall message of our Bibles. Even before Jesus is born, the, the theme of Scripture has been set, and his birth is just emblematic of it. Here's basically how the Bible story unfolds. Uh, God created, man messed up, God rescues. That's just how it goes over and over again. From the beginning, when sin entered into the world, it, it, it took us away from God, away from his plan, his hope for us. But he didn't leave us there. He rescues over and over again and ultimately brings his, his best rescue, the, the Son of God, to earth. 
in this season that we call Christmas. Look at the next line of the song, O Holy Night. It says, long lay the world in sin and error pining until he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Sin and error, Genesis chapter 3. Everything breaks when man says no thanks to God, right? And from there, there's been this pining. Does everybody understand pining? And pining is like an an anxious anticipation. It goes beyond just like, you know, an eagerness or a, it's like a a desperation, a a gotta have it kind of anticipation. I don't know if you've ever gone a long time without food. Some of you may have fasted as part of a spiritual discipline or maybe you just forgot to eat that morning, that noon time meal and you got to dinner that night. You eat differently if you haven't eaten for a long time. Everybody understands that, right? It's not for taste anymore. I just got to get this in my face as fast as I can. I'm trying to satisfy or to, to relieve the hunger that I've been feeling. That's what Placide was pointing to. Long lay the world in this brokenness that left them hungry. But then Jesus appears and the soul feels its worth. It's not just this physical you know, calendrical happening. It's a spiritual rescue and restoration. I was thinking about this this week. Everybody understands how great a rescue is. Anybody ever been rescued? Anybody ever been like in a situation where you couldn't get yourself out and you needed someone else to help you out and they did? I, uh, earlier this past year, uh, was called in the middle of the night. My, my daughter, Kai, was working uh, at the Outback here on 60, and she was living in St. Pete, so she was coming back across the bridge for all of her shifts until she found another job, which she eventually did, uh, did and now works you know, in St. Pete. Uh, but on those nights where she would come and, and work like a, a Friday double, uh, she'd be at an Outback all day, uh, leave late into the night, and, uh, and head back across the bridge. And on this one particular Friday night, uh, her back passenger tire blew and uh, it was, she was okay. She got past the Howard Franklin, had to pull off onto the side uh, of 275. But who did she call? This one right here. And uh, hey, Dad, uh, you know, I'm parked on the side of the road. Can you come? Yep. Uh, I'd already taken my sleeping pill. Anybody use those? Yeah. So th- this was a, a, a kind of a foggy experience for me. I, I did exactly what it says not to do on the bottle. I operated a piece of heavy machinery, and I uh, drove to where my daughter was. And I still remember her sitting on the back bumper of her car. Uh, she was in her black, you know, outback uh, apparel. And she's just kind of, you know, uh, elbow on her knee and chin on her fist. And she was just waiting because it the tire wasn't going to get changed except that her dad would come and do it for her. We had a very um, clear <laughs> lesson uh, in that moment as to here's how, I've told you this once, but here's how we do this again. In case you're ever like further than 45 minutes from me and you have to do this for yourself, but I still think she's going to call me. She'll be in like Arkansas and give me a call. I don't know. <laughs> so we all understand rescue. We've all perhaps been in that situation or or, you know, some other situation. And, and, but here's what I think happens a lot of times with us as humans. We don't appreciate rescue. Like, I, I, my, my daughter was effusive in her thanks and grateful that her mom and I would get up and drive out there. But I think she kind of banked on the fact that we do that, right? I mean, that's what my job is. I'm her dad. There's other situations where that kind of confidence isn't ours. I was uh, another car breakdown. I was in Uganda 
uh, with a group from this church years ago, and we were just kind of driving along in this van, and uh, it breaks down in the middle of Uganda, like far from any town. It's a different story. No AAA, no cell phone service, no call dad, he'll come fix. Our driver gets, uh, gets up, pops the hood, and uh, starts you know, talking to our, our hosts in their language, and uh, um, we find out it's, it's the belts. We've thrown like two belts in this engine. That's not good. Uh, you can't just go to Napa and uh, grab some belts. And so uh, they, they had a brief conversation, and all of a sudden our driver is standing on the side of the road, and he's just waving at motorists coming by. And some guy stops on a motorcycle, and, and our, our driver just you know, saddles up, takes the keys, and drives over the hill. If you've never been in this situation, it's different. I don't know where I am. I don't even know which way to go. I'm with, you know, some Ugandans that we love and trust, but they're the only people we know in this country. I know from other situations where I've been in, uh, you know, an African country that nighttime's not good. It's not like you can, you know, uh, quickly call the authorities as things go down out in the country as you're broken down in a van. A couple hours went by, and uh, we heard the drone of a motorcycle coming back over the same hill that this one had disappeared past, and, and here he comes, our buddy with this other guy. Uh, they've got like three tools. That's it. Like, they didn't come with the truck. Motorcycle, two guys, three tools. They both disappear into the woods this time. They come back, they've yanked a tree out of the ground. It's about this big around, and this is how they're going to jack up the engine so that we can attach the belts that they, by God's grace, had found in the, in the town that they were from. So a tree goes into the, into the hood of this van, and they just start reefing on it. And they call us, bring your fat American selves over here. And, and we start reefing on this engine so that the, the guy that drove the motorcycle can take these two belts and affix them on the engine. <laughs> I'm standing in front of you. It worked out. Engine started up and we continued on with our day. I've, I've worked on a car a couple times, never used a tree, just so we're all clear. But that was a different feeling. When I saw that, that motorcycle crest the horizon, I, I understand what uh, Placide Capot was writing about here in the song, Oh Holy Night. He says, a thrill of hope. I felt this thrill of hope. But he writes it in terms of this weary world that Jesus is born into. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Like I said, uh, the story of Jesus and his birth is the story of the whole book of the Bible. It's, uh, it's God, mess God making us, us messing it up, and God rescuing us despite ourselves. I mean, even if you just kind of follow along with the the flow of the narrative in Genesis. Um, we come to this guy, Noah. God's gonna basically start over again and he says to Noah, hey Noah, I need you to trust me, build a boat in the desert, I'm gonna make it rain a lot. And you're gonna be who I start over with. And Noah, by faith, it tells us in Hebrews 11, trusted in God, built this boat in a desert, and because he trusted in God, God rescued him and his family. Fast forward to the end of Genesis, one of my favorite stories in scripture is this guy, Joseph. He's the uh, second to last son born to his father, Jacob, a favorite, and his brothers hated him for it. 
They were going to kill him, but Reuben, one of the brothers, says, you know what, let's just sell him into slavery and we'll be done with it and we'll act like he's dead. And so they do that. If you know the story of Joseph, things get <laughs> bad and go to worse. It's with little blips of like, hey, I'm doing good. But then all of a sudden he goes from being a slave to being a prisoner, from being a prisoner to being a long-term prisoner without any hope of being freed. And then all of a sudden God moves as only he can and Joseph goes from the outhouse to the penthouse. He goes from prison to the palace. And he is, by God's divine hand, made second in command in all of Egypt. And he's not only able to preserve himself and his immediate family in a situation that was coming up in this weary world where things break. There was going to be a huge famine in the region. But he was also able to rescue his brothers and bring them to Egypt. We sang about that earlier, that things that um, were meant for evil, God uses for good. That's where we get that idea from the story of Joseph. He actually says that to his brothers. And the, the story of God and his, his chosen ones moves forward from there. These sons of Jacob were also known as the sons of Israel. They become the nation of Israel. And in Exodus, we see them having multiplied, you know, to a million or two million strong, and they're, they're living there in Egypt. But one of the pharaohs says, you know what, we, we've got to make sure that we don't let these uh, Israelites over, overtake us. And he, he forces them into slavery, and it's horrible. It's a dark and weary world uh, for Israel. But God chooses a guy. His name's Moses. He was rescued as an infant from the Nile River by the princess of Egypt. He grows up in the palace. He has a little bump in the road. He catches a case. Uh, murders a guy uh, for good reasons, he would argue. Uh, but he's on the lamb for 40 years watching his father-in-law's sheep until God ignites a bush on fire and has a conversation with Moses and says, Moses, it's time for me to rescue my people from Egypt and guess who's going to be my agent in such a cause? It's going to be you. And if you know the story of Moses, he goes down to Egypt, he says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And things kind of move through many different plagues. We studied them a couple years ago here as a church, but it comes to this final plague. There's going to be a judgment on the houses of Egypt. The firstborn sons will die on this dark and dreary, weary world night. And Israel's given this, this out clause. If, if they'll by faith take the blood of an innocent lamb and, and put it on the doorpost, the angel of death will pass over their homes and by faith Israel does that and because of their faith God passes over them and then rescues them from slavery in Egypt. I mean are you picking up what God's putting down? Over and over again he intercedes on behalf of his creation on behalf of those made in his image and he says hey I know you've made a mess, but I love you, and my will is to rescue you, if only you'll trust in me. That's where we end up in Lamentations. There's lots of other examples of this theme in Scripture before this one, but in Lamentations, uh, we've arrived at around 586 B.C. Jeremiah is the writer of Lamentations. He also wrote a book by his name, and in the, the, the actual book that bears his name, he, he's seen uh, prophesying to the, to the southern kingdom of Israel. It's called Judah. And he says, hey, guys, 
uh, as prophets were wont to do in those days. Knock it off. You've got to repent and return to the God who has made you and rescued you over and over again in your history. You guys, you got to understand, he's serious. If you don't do this, he's going to allow you to be taken into captivity. This is his judgment. Choose what you will. Judah chose uh, not God, just like Adam and Eve had. And so in the same way that God closed the garden and allowed consequences to fall, he closes Judah. And in Lamentations, we see Jeremiah writing five distinct poems, one per chapter, lamenting what has happened as Babylon has swept through the nation. They've destroyed the city. It lays in rubble. Hiroshima comes to mind. The, the temple of God that Solomon had so meticulously pieced together and, and, and honored God with in its construction had been just laid flat. There's no food to eat. The Babylonians have taken the very best of Israeli culture off into captivity and Jeremiah's laying in the ashes of his, of his town. And he's sitting down with his bick, and he's just going to write some poems. Right, just real quick, this is kind of fun. There's five chapters, the first one, second one, fourth, and fifth one, all have 22 verses in them because the, the Hebrews, Jeremiah in this case, wrote their poetry sometimes using the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. There's 22 of them, and so each one of the verses starts with a different one of those letters. Chapter three, where we're going to be today, has 66 verses. Guess what he did there? He wrote three verses for each letter. But there are five different poems, and can I just, the book's called Lamentations. Can you guess kind of the tone of how Jeremiah is writing here? It's a downer. Jeremiah makes Eeyore look like, you know, a circus clown uh, filled with joy. Uh, he is not feeling strong in these moments. But in different little pockets, not in all of the chapters, but in different little pockets, he kind of pauses for six or eight verses and reflects on what he knows about his God, and that's where we're going to find ourselves today. He's going to give us three basic truths that are woven throughout Scripture, certainly are seen in the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, but I call this the Jeremiah Christmas because he's basically saying, hey, man, this is just how it works with God. He creates, we mess up, he rescues. Let's start in verse 16 where we learn from Jeremiah what we've already known, it's a broken world. The world is always weary. Isn't it great? Anybody smiled lately? Anybody had a joyful day? Angela, you, have, you, have, you smile, I see you do it all the time. Isn't it great that God gives us pockets of joy and happiness in an otherwise broken world? Who's grateful for that? Anybody grateful for that? But if you kind of just pull back and look at the world, is it getting better? No, for all of our advances, to me, it's just kind of staying the same or getting worse. In fact, I would argue that we know more about what's worse about in our world or what's wrong with our world because we have all these other ways of learning about it. We're inundated with just how broken our world has always been. The world is always weary. Here in, in, in Jeremiah's time, as he's kind of sitting in the rubble of Jerusalem, he says these things amongst others. He says, God, who has allowed this judgment to occur, has made my teeth grind on gravel. You know what he's saying? He's saying things are so bad that my face is in the dirt. There's nothing to eat. Everything's been scorched. The earth has been, you know, uh, just completely laid low. 
I'm chewing on rocks here. I'm eating gravel. That's how bad things have gotten. He, he's made me cower in the ashes of my city. The temple in all of Jerusalem has been destroyed. Verse 17, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. Some of us are sitting here and being like, wow, Jeremiah, bummer. But others of, us, others of us are sitting here and saying, wow, Jeremiah, I know exactly what you mean. Because here's the deal. Sitting in this room, maybe watching online, are people who are in the midst of the darkest dark that this weary world can pr provide. It's, it's just the hardest season that you've ever gone through. I've got good friends whose high school daughter has just been diagnosed with brain cancer. And they're walking through the steps that they know to do, but there's not a whole lot that they can do except pray and trust that God will heal. I'm talking with spouses who are walking through a separation from the one that they love. And regardless of what got them there, it's just hard. It's dark. You want things to get back together. But it's not in your control to, to make that happen. I personally am a father of children who have walked away from a faith in Jesus Christ. And I can't tell you the angst that their mother and I feel at times. Just longing for them to see the error of their ways. We want God to hurry up. It's hard. There's other things, countless things, that can leave us, as Jeremiah says here, bereft of peace. Having forgotten what happiness even looks like. He goes on in verse 18, he says, so I say, my endurance has perished, and so has my hope for the Lord. This is what I call a wah, wah, wah passage. Understandable though, right? He's given his life to warning this country and has hoped for their repentance and return to God, but they've gone too far, and now God's consequence has rested on him and his nation. By the way, Jeremiah, innocent bystander, like he was in the right. Maybe that's some of you right now. You're going through a darkness that's not a, a darkness of your own making. You're just kind of there. And you feel that same weariness of the world that you live in. <laughs> Jeremiah has a choice. He can focus on his circumstances the rubble and the ash, the rocks that his teeth are chewing on. Or, as he does here in this brief break from his lament, he can focus on the hope that he has in God. Because even though the world is always weary, the hope of God is always ours. Verse 21, he says this, but this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. Something flashes on the screen of his brain. He's like, oh yeah. This God who I've given my life to service of, to this God who has caused or allowed this judgment to uh, land here in Jerusalem, this God that has given me life. I, I know these things about him. I'm gonna focus on these things and let my mind train itself on them. What is the source of his hope? Three things. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His first hope is in the fact that God's love for him and for his world is unwaning, never stops. 
Like uh, Spinal Tap, it's always spiked at 11. You gotta see the movie. Anyway, it, it, it can't ebb or flow. It's always and is constant in its expression. It keeps coming like the waves on the shore. If I uh, vacation at the beach, I know I'm sleeping with the windows open, even if it's 95 degrees outside, and sometimes it has been. That happens because my wife loves the sound of the waves on the shore. Some of you have actually uh, boxed it into an electronic device and you fall asleep to this noise. It has been scientifically proven that it's one of the most soothing sounds that our world has. And even though I'm not very particular about it, my wife digs it hardcore. I think it has to do something with its constancy. Like I'm not a big science buff, uh, but the waves just keep coming, regardless of what the tide's doing. The, it, it makes sense to me that the waves would come if the tide's coming in. But the wave keep, <laughs> waves keep coming even when the tide's going out. Huh? That to me is kind of this picture of it doesn't matter what's happening in our circumstances. If, if we are, as, as Paul talks about in, in Philippians 4, uh, if we are in plenty or in want, if the tide is coming in or going out, He's learned the secret of being content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's learned that the love of God is enough because it's constant. It never stops. The waves just keep lapping up on the shore. Sometimes, who loves these times? Sometimes it's like tsunami force love. I mean, we just get plowed over. The waves are just flowing over us, and it's just like the love of God is so apparent. But sometimes it feels like it's barely a trickle, almost imperceivable. But I know that I know that I know that his love is constant, always there. Jeremiah does too, and he says, my hope's in the fact that God's love for me is unrelenting. He goes on. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Verse 22, his mercies never come to an end. Not only is his love unrelenting, his mercies are unending now, love is, is God's choice for us. It's not contingent on whether we love him back. He's just chosen to love us unconditionally. It's how he feels towards us. It's, it's his heart towards us. But his love is manifest to us in the mercies that he shows us. Mercy's uh, something that you get that you don't deserve. Like if Rusty came up here and punched me in the face, don't. Mercy would be me not punching him back. Mercy is turning the other cheek. It's, it's giving when the, the receiver is a taker and not a giver in return. And God's mercies are manifest. Every morning, the Bible tells us, his, his mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. We'll get to that in a second. But let's talk about these mercies. My experience a lot of times is that I'm so focused on the desolation, the ashes, the rocks that I'm chewing on, that I miss the mercies. Anybody been there? I mean, this stinks. This stinks, this stinks, he stinks, she stinks. It all stinks. Jeremiah has put lots of words on paper that explain how his situation is as dark as it can be. But in these moments, he's like, wait a minute. Even though this is happening, the mercies of God are new every morning. How are you at seeing the mercies of God in your life? When we were a younger couple, Eleanor uh, heard a sermon and started keeping a journal. I want to encourage you guys to do this. 
Take some time every day and journal the mercies of God. Count your blessings like the old hymn goes. Because even as everything might be falling apart in your world, there are still the mercies of God present in our lives. And you get to focus on which one you want to focus on. You can focus on the trouble or you can focus on the mercies. That little catalog of the mercies had some big ones in it where the love of God just blew in like a, like a hurricane, but it had little ones in it. Like I reached into my pocket today and found enough for Wendy's chicken nuggets. And so we went straight to the drive-thru. I was digging in the seats of our minivan on another day, and I found that earring that that morning I had almost thrown the other one out because I'd just given up on ever seeing it again. Little things. We sing songs in church about them. God gives us the breath in our lungs. He, he gives us the things that we have, the, the relationships that we're blessed with. Yeah, life gets hard. But with Jeremiah, we can focus either on what's difficult or on God's love and his mercies that never come to an end. There's one more thing that Jeremiah's hope is rooted in, not just the love of God and the mercies of God, but the faithfulness of God. I love how the poem goes here. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. And then he kind of breaks from the page. It's almost like he's been, you know, writing, you know, furiously all these encouragements in the midst of his dark and weary world. And then he just pauses and he looks up and he prays in the midst of his poem. He speaks to God himself. He says, great is your faithfulness. That word faithfulness, it's the Hebrew word. Uh, you ready for it? Chemuna. Chemuna is, is a derivative of, of the word that we use to close out our prayers, hamen. And so when you say amen at the end of a prayer, you're saying, in essence, so be it. What I've just prayed, let it be. But what you're really saying, if you're going to the root of the word that amen is derived from, is you're saying, God is faithful. Faithful. Isn't that a great way to think of your prayers? When you pray your prayer and you say, in Jesus' name, amen, you're saying, in Jesus' name, God is faithful. God gives us an unrelenting love. He gives us mercies that are new every morning. And he's been faithful, and because he's been faithful, we can bank on him to be faithful, even as the world crumbles around us. I wonder, as you're pining for rescue in your weary world, do you choose these things? If I had to summarize, as Jeremiah is about to do, I'd summarize it this way. When the world breaks, God is all that we have, and he's all that we need. Look what it says in the song first. Capo uh, uh, gets to writing about the appearance of Jesus on Christmas morning. And as he's reading the story of the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, he, he writes this line. He says, fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine, the night when Christ was born. You remember that story, right? We talk about it every year around Christmas where the shepherds are watching their flocks by night. It's the Linus story from the Peanuts Christmas, Right? And, and, and it just tells how, you know, uh, the, the angels, the, the, the host, the choir of angels shows up in the heavens and, and lets this, these shepherds, these simple 
workers, uh, you know, uh, blue-collar guys, know that God's Son has arrived. And they sing the song, glory to God in the highest on earth, right? Peace and goodwill towards men. And these shepherds are sore afraid at the beginning, but they are in awe as the song continues. And as soon as the choir is done, they turn to each other and they say, what? That was cool. I'm going to try to go back to sleep. Is that what they said? No. They said, we got to go now. We've got to go and worship the Son of God in Bethlehem now. We need to act on what we've been told. And so it is that Jeremiah, remembering these truths of a God who rescues in the midst of a weary world, says this in verse 24. He says this, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, and therefore I will hope in him. One more Hebrew word. It's that word portion. It's the Hebrew word chelek. You get to spit when you say Hebrew. It's a lot of fun. You want to try it? Try chelek. Ready? Chelek. Yeah, that's a good one. Chelek is a word that means portion, but it also was used in um, basically uh, uh, land purchases. It would be described uh, you know, as the, as the tract or the territory that you were buying. If you were going to purchase this land, it would say, okay, the chelek, the, the territory is, is marked by this. And, and, and what Jeremiah is basically saying is that I get to choose what I stand on in life. I get to choose the territory that I inhabit. And here's you know, the typical territories that we choose in life. Uh, when, when darkness sets in and, and the weary world overwhelms us, a lot of us start with fear and anxiety, and we just plant both feet on that, and we go all chicken little and like, blah, 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 right? And that's an option that you can have. That's a territory that you can inhabit. Others, you know, after waiting for a long time for the rescue that, that doesn't seem to come, we move and we head to a different territory over here. And it's no longer anxiety or fear, it's anger and bitterness. And instead of looking to God for the rescue that he could give, we just kind of shake an angry fist in his face and say, this is your fault. And we head a different direction. If it's not those two, perhaps it's, uh, you know, the fact that uh, uh, we here in America have many resources. We're smart. We've been to school. We've got some stuff. And, and so rather than living in fear or, or living in anger, we're just living in ourselves. And we're just going to kind of tackle this with what we got. But Jeremiah corrects all of those notions when he says, no, I'm not going to live in fear, I'm not going to live in anger, and I'm not certainly going to try to do this myself. My portion is my God, and I'll put two feet firmly on the rock that he is, and I'll stay with him and trust him because in him alone do I find my hope. The world is always weary, but the hope of God is always ours. So may you and I understand that God is all that we have and all that we need. I love that phrase, great is your faithfulness. That'd be a great song, wouldn't it? Oh, wait a minute. It is a great song. So we're going to close with that in just a second. We're going to sing it. But here's what I hope for you this week as a result of you hearing this reminder. You know, the whole story of Scripture, including Christmas, certainly, but from the very beginning, is that God made us. 
And unfortunately, we as humans, created in his image, chose him not. And the mess ensued. The effects of that choice makes this a, a weary world for us sometimes. But in those moments where that weariness and that darkness sets in, this is our hope. That the God who made us loves us without fail. That the God who loves us casts his mercies upon us. They're new every morning. There, if we'll only see them. And because that's true, we can rejoice in his faithfulness, bank on his faithfulness, wait upon the Lord as he renews our strength. That's my prayer for you this morning. Some of you are sitting here, maybe you're online or you're in this room and you're kind of new to the whole Jesus thing and you're like, wow, this sounds like it's really important in life. It is. If you have not yet met God through Jesus and faith in him, that's the first step for you. You may have been wondering, you know, how can I make sense of this world? The world's always going to be a hard place to live in, but God created you for himself and your sin has separated you from him. And the only way you can be free from that sin, rescued from the effects of that sin, is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that you do that this morning. I'll stand over here and wait for you. And if you want to talk about it, I'd love to do that. But many of us sit here, I know you, love you, and you've already made that choice. Here's my encouragement to you. As you walk through this weary world and head into those particularly dark seasons, maybe it's not right now, but it's coming. Maybe it is right now, and you know why you're here this morning. You're here to hear this. God loves you without fail. His mercies never end. They're new every morning. And he is faithful. Will you stand with us as we sing? I'll start us off, but you help me out. Cool? Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Sing it like you mean it. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Father, that's the song that we sing that's rooted in the words of your prophet. At the time that he wrote it, things had not been worse in his life, but his hope was in you, Father. As we walk through this life that you've given us, the dark times are coming, but we thank you that you are a God who rescues, that you've rescued over and over again uh, those that you love. And so we can, by faith, 
count on your rescue again. Help us to do that. Uh, help those who are weary um, <laughs> in this world, in a season uh, that's been hard for them right now, to be reminded of this truth. Help, help those who don't know you yet to accept that, that you are um, who they are made for and bring them to saving faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to leave here uh, singing that song in our hearts. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. God is faithful. Have a good week.